Welcome to Talking Roadmaps, the channel where we talk about everything road mapping, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Today, I'm joined by Rob Farl. Rob, can you introduce yourself? I'm Rob Farl. For the last 25 years, I've been uh, working at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Engineering uh, with an interest in management tools uh, from an engineering perspective, working mostly with technology-intensive companies, and um, road mapping is a particular tool of interest. Yeah, and I know I've come across your courses and your books, so it's uh, and interesting to find a different school of thought, different perspective to to kind of share with our audience. If you're enjoying the channel, subscribe, hit the bell, and give us a like. What's the purpose of a roadmap? Well, in one word, alignment uh, around strategic strategy. Really, the way I like to think of it now, uh, as an analogy, is. Um, it's the picture on the jigsaw puzzle box, you know. So, so everyone's got a piece of the jigsaw, and th they'll know their piece well. Maybe not be aware of other pieces. They probably overinflate the size of their piece. But it's pretty hard to put the jigsaw puzzle together if you don't have that picture on the box. And that's really, really its role. So, uh, alignment of all stakeholders around uh, your strategic purpose, so they can understand how their contribution fits into the whole. So, if we're aligning people, who's the audience that's looking at then? Who are we aligning? Well, that, that, that's a really important issue because I think often if there's confusion about the purpose of a, a particular roadmap, uh, it starts to get muddied. Because one master roadmap, the complete picture, if you like, will have many different audiences, but they'll be emphasizing different uh, aspects. So, um, for example, the roadmaps I most commonly work with come in the manufacturing sector, and they're pretty complex because uh, you have to be uh, organized around that complex engineered product uh, to, to, to develop the strategy, but also to implement it. But I've seen many failures where that roadmap is taken to the board. You know, it's the wrong format. Um, you know, they want to show the big picture and show them the money, for example. So you need to think very carefully of all the stakeholders involved. But then what is the purpose and the audience for a particular roadmap visual? It could be for suppliers. It could be for the technical community, product managers, marketing. Uh, the way I... I think of that often is it's a bit like design for X, but the X is before the word roadmap. So if it's a technology roadmap, the focus is technology in the wider system. If it's a product, the same could be supply chain or, or whatever. And it's a very flexible technique, but you need to be pretty clear about that. Otherwise, uh, you'll tend to have a sort of a vanilla roadmap that doesn't quite meet anyone's needs. Totally agree. Yeah, it's, yeah so, so true. And, you know, it's interesting hearing very much the same thoughts as I hear from product management people coming from, from this other community though. So it's maybe we're, maybe we've all come to the same point through different paths. Oh, I, I, I'm sure. Um, the origins of road mapping go way back actually to the, the earliest ones we've spotted are from the 1960s. Um, uh, Lockheed Martin, NASA, um, basically very complex uh, engineered products such as aer aerospace, semiconductors, energy systems. And it was originally focused on the, the product, but it, it's, it's such complex technologies that they would have a heavy emphasis on both the product and technology. Um, in uh, agile software, because it's moving so fast, often roadmaps focus really on the, the product and the feature set. And then people the commercial or the technical people will be able to take that, that away and work on their parts. But in the manufacturing world, often they combine all of those components into one holistic view of the whole strategy. And so, so I think the, the general needs are the same, but um, 
what you see in uh, hardware environments is often a much more complex picture than you would typically see in an agile software system. Uh, so the ar architecture that uh, is embedded in the product is visible in the roadmap. I haven't really seen that in Agile. They're looking at the, really the outputs, if you like, you know, what you can promise to the customers. And, and that's fine. That's the prime integrator. Everyone can take that away. Uh, but it, I've never seen really, apart from enterprise architecture, maybe applications, these very complex uh, systems, lots of legacy issues. There you see much more explicit architecture in the roadmap structures. Uh, so, so that's perhaps the key difference. But in in the end, everyone's trying to get alignment around the strategic purpose. And yeah, I think you started hinting at some of the visuals that I've seen in in some of your literature of kind of almost three swim lanes, three layers of those different audiences of technology, product, and service, and uh, business and markets. Can you maybe tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So. One of the puzzles we had when we spotted roadmapping in industry was uh, we thought there's a lot more power in the te technique. And what w we could uh, do is look at that variety and, and find new applications. And through that, uh, we've established what we think is the generic form, a universal framework. And that does have three broad perspectives, often represented as layers. Uh, and so the focal system is in the middle. Um, but uh, typically above that, uh, you'd have the demand side on, on the system and below that, the supply side. And that's really handy if you want to really integrate your entire business from, from your resources to your end purpose. The product is a stepping stone, but why is it important and how are you going to develop it? That, that, that's typically what you see in that. Uh, we, we always relate those three level, layers to knowledge types. Why? At the top, why, why do we need to act? What's driving us? What's motivating us? What do we seek as outputs? What is the, the product and service, their functionality, performance, features? Uh, and then how is technology often uh, different disciplines and then other resources? Uh, and, and then set against that is when, the timeline. So four of the six fundamental dimensions of knowledge are baked into the structure of those roadmaps. The, the other two questions, uh, the, the who and the where, uh, are not as explicitly um, represented, but absolutely critical because, um, you know, in the end, the roadmap has to have ownership, the, the different layers and perspectives linked to different functions in the business. The, the objects on the roadmap need ownership. You know, who's managing that project? Who's responsible? Um, the whole roadmap, by the way, is you need ownership from the very top. And the most interesting objects on the roadmaps, which aren't that... Uh, Visual often are the connections and linkages and dependencies. I remember Motorola, who was very influential in the 1980s and 90s in uh, road mapping. They, they did have some software, and they, they, I was talking to somebody in the Chicago research labs, and they said that if if I was in managing a technology program, and I wanted to link to a product development program, I, I would try to create the link in the software, but the link can't be made until the other side accepts that we have a dependency, and then I'm, I know who to call. You know, so the the best way to think of a roadmap is not, not as a data artifact, but as a social contract, if you like. Uh, the, the common aspirations and commitments, and some of those links can be social contracts or, or real contracts to suppliers and so on. And so I think that, that the most important layer, the social perspective on road mapping is, is the most critical one. And often people don't, don't see it because they just see the object, the artifact produced. 
uh, and then they file it away. Uh, they need to actively use it all the time and to you know support conversations and insights amongst the stakeholders that those uh, objects represent. And I mean, so that kind of contract, the the almost kind of ecosystem in back, between the different kind of elements on the roadmap that are kind of inputs and outputs to each other. Love it. And you started to hint at ownership. So you said ownership at the top. Is there different ownership at the, some of those different layers, different levels? Is that, you know, who, who owns this thing? Who, who kind of maintains it? Well, the often in, in uh, any substantial initiative, some, somebody will be delegated with the operational aspects of maintaining it, running around. That, 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 that's a delegated responsibility. That person normally doesn't own the content of the roadmap, but it does need some care and attention to get the process working. But in terms of the what the roadmap represents, then the ownership goes straight to people with responsibilities and where budgets lie. And if you don't get that, it's just an interesting thing to look at. But when, when you get those pe people's fingerprints on it and, and they're committed to those actions that are represented on the roadmap, then you have something phenomenally powerful. Some of the best ones I've seen don't look great, but they're on the wall all the time, very confidential, of course. And so uh, if, if you get to the point where people naturally gravitate to that um, visual object uh, when they have a strategic discussion, then you're really flying, I think. And that's what you see in a Scrum or in the in the sort of manufacturing, they, there's something in, I've seen in Scandinavia called lean innovation, which is pretty much the same. Came out of factories, though. You know, in a, if you go into a factory, you'll see visual management boards. The principle is if you can't see it, you can't manage it. And I've seen people take those principles out into the program management, basically product and uh, management area, and they'll have a room dedicated to having these conversations on different uh, clock speeds. And maybe the roadmap will be pulled out every month or two, if you like. And they're just focusing on those conversations. Uh, they don't really... When I've seen one operate in Stockholm, they were really anti having any complex technology in that room. And software in particular, they, they were really worried it would suppress the conversations. So they had whiteboards, post-it notes, magnets. Then he, they did have a couple of bits of uh, sophisticated technology in the room. They had an atomic clock on the wall because they were very disciplined about time. And they had a high-definition video conferencing system to connect up to other sites around the world, which was about 50,000 people. So a very simple visual management room can, can scale. And um, I, I'd like to see more of that kind of... Uh, approach. There's a great tendency to get in the software and it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. People might type and not talk. And uh, and that's kind of heading in a suboptimal direction, I think. Yeah, funny enough, I was talking to uh, a senior product person I coached the other day and suggesting that they create a design wall, kind of all the different design artifacts and kind of things like user journeys and so on, and kind of get it physically on the wall. Because sadly, if it's, I, I love tools like Miro and Mural. But I can't just walk past them and kind of let that information soak in and kind of almost be informed by just being in its presence. And interestingly, I um, since I've seen those systems operate at scale and uh, very effectively, I've always mentioned it to people as a potential route for deployment. And usually the response is, we don't have any space. So I always say, well, you know, is your strategy worth less than paint? Because you seem to have a lot of walls. But it's meeting rooms, right? It's uh, they're always uh, under huge demand. I think in the future, you know, the, uh, touch screens and displays are getting cheap enough that you'll be able to turn on your uh, digital, uh, you know, walls in your meeting room and then have it as a you know multi-purpose, and that'll be solve that problem. 
because even if it do, I mean, even things like Miro, you could uh, have a massive screen and still get the social interaction around it rather than the paper uh, system, which is pretty crude. On the other hand, there's no learning curve. <laughs> Everyone knows how to use post-it notes, and uh, the worst can happen is a post-it note falls on the floor. In fact, this this system I saw it's called the Pulse Room. It's every week. Is they had a perspex box in the middle because it was on the route, main route into their program office, and post-it notes would fall down, and they'd pop it in the perspex box and sort it back out every time. Yeah, it's uh, um, so I'm yeah always using stickies to to kind of think even just on my own here, and I mean I have a large whiteboard in my own home office. Um, because that analog just works, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing of kind of maybe in the future having that digital sharing, but in a physical environment. I mean, it's a remarkable technology post-it notes for having conversations. Uh, you know, if, if you empower people to contribute their ideas uh, with post-it notes in a light process, organizing the conversation around a structured template, it's amazing how effective it can be. And quite often people have uh, reported that, uh, you know, they, that, that there's a lot of conflict in these conversations inherently, uh, sort of uh, information asymmetries that cause conflict. And uh, you're always having conversations across these uh, boundaries in these uh, workshops and processes. But I've never really seen conflict because it's purely a communication problem that manifests as conflict. And, and then people don't want to, you get technical groups and product groups not talking to each other, or they have separate roadmaps. You know, the, the why, what, how integrated view is bringing it all together. Uh, and that has to be owned by the person who's responsible for that part of the business. And they have the power to uh, mediate the, those conversations and get people in, in the room. And if they, if they have a good experience, I find then the appetite is massive, you know, to 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 uh, to continue. Uh, it builds trust, you know, and uh, mutual understanding and appreciation of the other perspectives. And I think at the root of part of what you said there is an, an understanding that conflict doesn't have to be a negative thing in reality. So you're you're not seeing the conflict because you're seeing the discussion that gets to good outcomes and that's, I guess you could term it as positive conflict. It's disagreeing to get good, to get to a, a, somewhere as opposed to fighting between people. Yeah, there's always trade-offs and compromises, but that needs to be had in a, an adult sort of conversation, <laughs> and uh, which is um, really facilitated by these uh, techniques. Um, so you don't often get uh, sucked down different rabbit holes. You know, everyone's in their room because they have a important perspective uh, and these techniques can help them um, have equal airtime, air if you like, uh, without personalities, you know, dominating conversation, in my experience. So we've talked about it being owned by some fairly senior people because they own the budgets, this sort of thing. That suggests it might have a link into things like vision and strategy and objectives. How, how do we relate these things together? Absolutely. I mean, it depends on what part of the system you're focusing on, on the roadmap. So whatever the boundaries of that uh, initiative is, that's the whole system you're looking at. It'll have dependencies out to other systems and so on, but it's a very scalable technique. So for any roadmap, at any level in the organization, could be a corporate roadmap or sector level roadmap at the top, uh, business unit, product family, down to components and so on. Each one will have its own uh, vision, you know. And that, that's a problem I see in many firms. The, the company has a vision, but people can't relate to their perspective. The systems thinking behind roadmapping allows the high level vision to be deconstructed. So if I'm in charge of say, materials technology, what's the materials technology vision? It's a, it must be a subcomponent of the corporate vision, but that's often not well articulated. 
um, and the road mapping helps the, that organization of information. So the right and and the right hand side of the road map, the uh, the direction of travel is a fundamental uh, building block. Because without that, it's all well. How do you know what you're doing today makes sense without some anchor point in the future? Are we heading in the right? rough direction and that, that's really the purpose of the vision i think is direction setting it may be aspirational um it's beyond the time frame of the roadmap often maybe like zero carbon might be a, a good vision but but in the time frame of your roadmap say in five or ten years maybe you can reduce carbon by 50 percent. that would be the objective so that pair of data points on the right hand side i always think of as the key to the strategy because as soon as you get those nailed down you, it becomes a more convergent process you know so so in, in in workshops which may have two hours for a group to develop a roadmap they may take half the time to establish that multifunctional group and then i would always relax because uh, then they can just fill in all the bits and get there so so the right hand side it, it's system thinking i guess you need to know the initial and final conditions but we always start on the right and this is very incremental uh, and then with that uh, right-hand side pinned down a bit at the various layers and perspectives, then you can say, well, where are we now and how good is it? You know, strengths and weaknesses with relation to that vision. And, and then the core component of the roadmap is the pathway, which may have branches and so on that connects today to that vision. So those two boundary points in time are fundamental. I mean, time is an interesting thing. You pick up a strategy book and you find time in it. It's really odd. That it's a fundamental dimension, but most strategy models are static. Road mapping is inherently got time. It brings time to the party. And uh, things like SWOT, most widely used and abused uh, strategy tool, where's the time dimension? Well, it's implicit. When, when you look at another tool like that, uh, overlaid on the roadmap structure, it becomes very clear that the response time in the system, your ability to respond to signals is delayed. If you've got a product in the warehouse, it might be a day. If you've got to develop a new graphene battery, it will be 15 years, right? The, the slope of the line. And, and the SWOT has basically got a slope because it's current strengths and weaknesses with some understanding of your ability to respond to an external threat or opportunity. Love it. I, yeah. So I, I've, I've always kind of anything's in a, a pest or a swat i typically add on an extra layer of immediacy i when is it and impact that sort of thing but yeah i love that that kind of concept of the timeliness I, i'm not phrased it that way now I, I, that's how you can um, add time to all other tools and frameworks in my experience is that you insert the components of that tool or framework into the structure of the roadmap add time so the two benefits of that is you get the dynamic nature so it's swat over time um, and then also the broader system context. So most other tools focus on a particular part of the system. Like if you've got a competitive issue, you know, Portis Five Forces is a tool. That's one layer of this holistic uh, roadmap. And um, you know, I've never seen any incompatibility with any other tool. In fact, the, the function road mapping uh, contributes to a toolkit is the knowledge integrator. Um, because it's designed to be very holistic. It's got the whole system, including the supply and demand sides. It's got all time, even the past, very good learning tool. Every other tool focuses on removing question marks <laughs> from that roadmap. In fact, the first iteration, I always say, you know, it is an agile approach, really iterate fast learning process. You'll learn very quickly what you know and what you don't know. If somebody comes into, you know, shows you a nice glossy strategy document, get a pair of scissors, cut it up, stick it on the roadmap, and you'll find all the holes. 
So it's a, it's quite a it's a dumb tool, you know. It's it's not analytically powerful, but it's very good at communication as a visual method, and superb at integration of knowledge because it's got this systems thinking behind it, and that's the function it brings. Uh, but no other tool can do the integration because there's no other tool that just has those um, dimensions. I knew I, there was a good reason we were talking, Rob. That's that's like a that's gold dust. So we've kind of talked about uh, some some elements of it, some kind of contents and visuals. But maybe you can unpack that a little bit more. What, what's visually, what are we looking at on a roadmap? Well, the, the most common practice is generally poor, actually. It's a, you know, as a visual tool, it's surprising that people often fail at that very last hurdle. They may have great content, but the human brain is really a visual processing system, right? And it, it, it really struggles to see through a bad visual to the good content and structure. And many people who create roadmaps don't even have any basic training on visual design. You don't need much, um, but um, I think everyone should upskill a little bit because when you look at visuals, uh, it's pretty um, poor on average. From a visual perspective, I think the, the way to approach it, the, the sort of multi-layered time-based view is not a very exciting visual, but it's very organized for information. And it's very suitable for developing strategy and implementing strategy. So communities, say technical communities, uh, program managers really like that format. And even those ones can be made pretty and readable because if it's an ugly object, people won't engage with it. So it'll be well-organized and a a, a sort of interesting visual. But then what people usually forget to do is to say, well, people outside of that community, they need a a, a more communication-oriented roadmap. You know, the absolute critical messages that take all the noise and detail out. Uh, It's really around the core pathway and the motivation. And so I think I would always encourage roadmaps in pairs of visuals, at least. One is the detail, which serves those communities' needs. But then start thinking about, well, look at the outside stakeholders. Um, say the board needs a roadmap. So you, you, you use all the detail uh, from the de- uh, structured roadmap and then create a visual that's tailored for that community. It may depend on the very individuals um, or that if, you know, if it's a finance director, they want to see the money emphasized. So that extra step is often not done. And I've seen great roadmaps fail at that point. So I just say whenever you're communicating outward to different stakeholders, you need to think carefully about the visual form. Uh, and it may not be a visual even. Maybe it's a spreadsheet you know, for certain communities and so on. But that extra step is hardly ever done. And um, it, it should be because uh, all that hard work can uh, fail at that last point if people can't engage with the strategic narrative. So I see these more complicated roadmap forms, which are very useful, uh, and then these very simplified forms. If you only work at the simplified level, it's superficial. So you have to get your hands dirty in the detail and then come up to the surface and uh, and then think about the pitch, if you like, the simple message. And those people who receive that sort of uh, door opening with those simplified graphics will be very pleased to know there's detail. And, and if you want to respond to any query they have, it'll be in the detailed version. So working at those two levels, you may have many multiple versions of the simplified ones, but that, that's a very good practice, but hardly ever done. So I'd encourage that. Maybe in software, it's not such a big deal because it off, the core roadmap is often you know, about the core uh, integrating uh, the product release set and visual. They're not too complex. It, it's that style of roadmap that should be taken to the board. as well. We've got kind of the, the, the different layers of detail there. Can you maybe spell out a little bit more about what sort of detail? What are the elements that are in here? Well, if you think about a, say, say a corporate <laughs> roadmap, you know, they, they could have the whole corporate strategy on one page. 
then what the systems thinking allows you to do is to have a family, a hierarchical family of roadmaps to manage that complexity. And so um, if you think about the, what the, each business unit will have their own roadmap and they'll, they'll have one line in the corporate uh, roadmap. And then, and then within that business unit, they'll have probably organized around product families of products because that's what generates the revenue. And they'll have a sell series of product uh, roadmaps. And, and ideally that family of roadmaps will work together. Um, so the information flows vertically in the organization as well. So, you know, you need to, you need to integrate or align horizontally, for example, if, if a, a product, you know, is the marketing and technical groups on the same page? So that's horizontal alignment in the organization. But vertical uh, alignment or integration is a big problem too. I, I see a lot of problems of, you know, bottom up, it doesn't, it doesn't actually get into the corporate thinking. Corporate thinking doesn't flow down. The, the roadmap, the systems architecture allows that all to happen. And then ultimately, you need to, align and integrate at the right time, synchronization. So, so, you know, sitting behind all the roadmaps are those three fundamental dimensions, vertical uh, communication in the system, horizontal, and in time, because that's the ultimate scarce resource. I think I've forgotten what your question was, but <laughs> that's my answer. And so you've mentioned using stickies. You've also mentioned using Excel. Do you have a preferred tool in terms of both creating, but also managing and visualizing well i think the most common tools i see and we use are really simple office tools to start with anyway so i always my advice generally is don't don't, don't reach for software in the first instance um, you know start the conversation going with paper and post-it notes to get a feeling for the method and how it'll work for you and what the value is and how to customize it uh, it'll stabilize after a few iterations and you'll be in a much better position to decide you know what software support and digital support you need and you have a use case that you could then go and uh, test out different solutions because there are a lot out there now. A lot of them are, you know, uh, subscription services, so you might get a month's free trial. But but dashing to software straight off can be a big mistake, I think. So I, I really simple, really re widely available tools are the best ones. I've seen people in terms of visuals; they tend to often reach for Visio or other graphic packages that are better than PowerPoint. Um, when one comes to dedicated. Uh, software systems. I have seen some social media systems adapted, um, but um, I, I guess there's two strands. There's the, the some software systems that have been around for a while that come out of the hardware world, decades. You know, there's one from uh, Sofian. Uh, they tend to often end up in product management systems. That, that, the one Accolade, it's called in their system. It's got all the architectural support. If you, that, that's the key thing that many software systems won't have. So complex roadmaps, multiple roadmaps in a complex corporation. Um, that has its origins in Motorola 20 or 30 years ago. It's gone through multiple ownerships. Sharp Cloud is uh, one that came out 15 years ago. Uh, Fujitsu Services, working with the external vendor Sharp Cloud in the futures group, uh, needed that sort of uh, system. And then more recently, Itonics in Germany. And there's only the, those three that are really fit for corporate deployment, if you like, in this hardware environment. But then the um, last five plus years, um, a whole host of uh, agile uh, road mapping systems have appeared. Many, many pages of Google, I think quite fast moving. Some of them, I think, can support the architectural thinking, the systems thinking. Uh, many of them probably not. A lot of them look very slick, you know, um, but I, we, I, I tend not to work uh, with the software systems because we're always helping organizations get going. 
So it's uh, before the moment when they probably are in a fit state to work out what IT support and software will work for them. Fair enough. And, and so that sounds like the sticky is the preferred tool at the starting point. Absolutely. And what, you know, one of the benefits of COVID, maybe the only one, was everyone was forced into experimenting with digital tools. So, you know, uh, we got quite a bit of experience with digital whiteboards uh, and they're a fair emulation of the technique. Uh, it does allow distributed and remote collaboration, but some things are better face-to-face. So my, my, my thinking there is it's pretty good, but um, may, maybe if you had full design control, in other words, you could get people together if you want to, which is very expensive and logistically complex. Maybe in, in the new normal, you could reduce the requirement to do that by 75%, no problem. A lot of waste of time there. People have traveled around and you do probably things in workshops that aren't really value adding. So if you really think about when it's critical to get face-to-face meetings, maybe to kick off, to build trust, I think that conversation could be had very well in a continuous basis, uh, digitally on whiteboards, on other systems, and then maybe at particular points you get together again. So I think that's still people are trying to work out what the best solution, the mix, hybrid mix. Um, what, I, what we don't tend to encourage is doing both at the same time. You know, that's a recipe for disaster so far. Maybe in the future when we're really high fidelity VR, maybe there'll be other options. So coming on from tools then, Rob, what about best practice on road mapping? If if you had to kind of choose one or two things. I'm a bit allergic to the concept best, which means there's only one. (laughs) But good, good practice, you know, and effective practice, many, many things. I do think, um, I mean, going back to the original Motorola uh, paper that described their method from 1988, I think, 87, you know, they they, they recognized the need to have a consultative consensual consensus building process. I think that's an absolute must. You've got to get people's fingerprints on it. It is a useful tool to get your own thinking in order, and I use it myself, you know, but that serves my purpose. But in a complex situation when multiple people have to be involved, if you don't get them all involved, uh, the roadmap will have little traction. Now, you you can do that in many ways, you know, interviews, but then you don't get the conversation. So at certain points, getting people together, and, and it's a very effective way of having strategic conversations. And I'd always encourage people to actually you know, use the structure and empower people, and you can have conversations on the canvas. And it's really helpful for everyone because they understand, you know, where this point sits in the bigger picture. It's just very, very effective, and it cuts through a lot of the conflict and so on. So I think that's all. I would always encourage people to, you know, take a sort of people-oriented process. There can be lots of modeling and simulation and the good data from that source as well. But in the end, it's those people who have to act, you know, and, and getting their – they have an ownership of the process if they're involved in it. So that that's the top one, I guess. Keep keep it simple. There's a great temptation, especially amongst technologists, to put everything in there because they kind of like to see the detail. I think you should suppress. I've never enforced it, but uh, you should have a kind of a, a bit uh, budget, if you like. Uh, you know, no, no more than 20 post-it notes for any roadmap, for example. I don't know if it's 30 or 20. I've never been harsh about that, but that's that's an auto-scaling thing, right? So if you think about the history of the universe, you can tell that in 20 or 30 big chapters, how you made breakfast, 20 or 30 small steps. So, you know, you need to basically reduce the content because it becomes a burden to update and it's a, it hides the core message. Put the detail elsewhere. The roadmap should be the highest level navigational tool. 
Um, I remember General Motors in uh, I don't know, 20 years ago had a corporate decluttering process. Now, I think all organizations accrue bureaucracy, and every now and again you need to slash and burn it. And they had a really ruthless process of getting rid of everything. Uh, probably have it back by now in spades. But their roadmaps were beautifully simple. The five things nobody must ever forget. You know, so I think that discipline of keeping it high level, having this navigational aid. Uh, there's a great temptation and the opposite of best practice or good practice is to mistake the roadmap for your strategy. It's a it's a window onto your strategy. And, and then if you mistake, it's easy to mistake the make because it looks like your strategy because that's a depiction of it. But then people will start saying, well, road mapping is hard. But actually, it's a wonderfully simple technique to help you with a hard problem, which is your strategic uh, planning and dilemmas and so on. Perfect. And you answered my next question already. So let's take you to, uh, I think you mentioned someone before we started. Whose advice on road mapping do you listen to? Well, the first advice I would always learn uh, listen to is uh, people who've done it. Right. Road mapping and most other good things in management don't come from academics. They come from people solving problems. And that's where roadmap came from. It wasn't dreamt up by academics. It was uh, people in tough strategic situations finding a way to do it. So I would always uh, really respect people who kind of walk the talk, um, really. Um, and, and that's where we, we, we learned, uh, working with companies as well. Uh, to, to, to then take that learning. What we can add is time to reflect, look at variety, uh, and, and so on. So, so that's the first uh, group where, where road mapping came from. Uh, and companies are very uh, keen on learning from each other. You know, nobody's interested in the content of their roadmap, but how do they organize? So there's no, no barriers. Even competitors will often talk about these things. They just won't show you the actual uh, roadmap. In terms of um, experts, I think the... Um, Two, well, they're not academics exactly, they're systems experts. Um, one comes from the semiconductor world, uh, Dr. Gerd Muller, who's a, from Eindhoven, although he's teaching systems in Kongsberg in Norway. He worked at the Embedded Systems Institute. Uh, Eindhoven, ex Philipstown, really, really steeped in semiconductors and systems thinking. That's one of the roots of road mapping, came from uh, complex semiconductors. And, you know, Moore's Law has been sustained through the whole industry collectively developing their sector level roadmap. And so they really understand systems, you know, and Gerrit is the, the, the go to guy. He's got a great website um, called Gaudi. Uh, They've asked him why, but I think it's because it's never finished like the cathedral in Barcelona. But it's a lot of resources there. So if you search on, on Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R, Gaudi, you'll find uh, that. The other sector where road mapping came from, and uh, you know, people really understand systems, is uh, aerospace. And so there I'd point to Professor Oli de Vec, uh, at MIT, who's spent two years at Airbus working in the CTO office on their road mapping system. So he doesn't just think about it, he does it. And uh, when he went back to MIT, he's got courses there now and a, a new book. Olio Devec has got some courses on uh, technology road mapping and a, a new book. So if you want this sort of uh, hardcore technology analysis side of technology road mapping, that's the main resource available now. So those those two. Uh, and then I think um, also there's other experts around, some academics who have more applied uh, focus that are interesting to talk to. And, and places like Fraunhofer. Dr. Sven Schilft in Stuttgart. You know, they do a lot of very applied uh, research and uh, a lot of expertise in road mapping. I've, in, I've employed a number of people from ex-Fraunhofer Institutes over the years. It's a great um, bit of infrastructure that's been persistently supported for 
75 plus years. I wish uh, we could have something like that in the UK. And also spent a lot of time at ASML. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, what, what a remarkable company. So Carrick Muller used to work at ASML, you know, and so Very we worked on their road mapping there. So, Rob, coming towards the end of the conversation, if you had to distill your philosophy on road mapping down to one or two sentences... What would it be? It's actually a quote from Herod Muller once that uh, stuck in my mind is, uh, think big, act small. You know, pe- people often fall in the trap. They can see the power of road mapping, say, to synchronize the whole organization. Well, that's downstream, right? Take the first step. In an hour, two hours a day, you can do a lot and you're on a journey. And so, you know, often uh, if you employ a consultant, uh, you know, be all problems are big problems because you're selling hours. And they may say it's going to take six months. I always advise people to give them a day. You know, you, there's plenty of time to demonstrate the benefit of a technique and then iteration and agile approach, scaling up as you build confidence. So that general agile approach is always good for complex and uncertain projects. And the other one is really the power of integration. You know, that, that that's uniquely uh, a benefit of road mapping. And, and it's missing. The, the strangest thing about road mapping, it's been around for 60 plus years. Um, and it's been entirely ignored by business schools through that entire period. You won't find it in any strategy book. I've never seen it. A couple do have modules on it, not researched. So many people who need to know about it don't. And so that's, I guess, my biggest plea is we need to um, somehow solve that problem and, and get awareness better. Because when, when people are interested in technique, where do they find credible information? You know, the, the, the metaphor travels much faster than the discipline. And so, um, you know, you can easily get uh, struggle or if they don't spend enough time just, just working out what is this thing and how best to use it. You can get many different uh, views and so on. So I, th- I think I'd, I'd encourage people to do a little bit of due diligence always to just inform themselves, experiment, don't commit until... You know, it's, it's low risk because if it's only a day or so, what's the downside of having a go? Um, but but to, to do a little bit of uh, Google research uh, first to try, try to spot what uh, the, the actual discipline of road mapping is as opposed to all the other stuff you find. In fact, the, the, the background to that was, uh, I think, that in, the, in 2003, the Roadmap for Peace in the Middle East was published. Immediately, I saw the word just exploded across newspapers. I've seen it in novels. And people love the idea. Strong metaphor. Sounds like you know where you're going. But, you know, the the actual good content behind it is a little bit obscure because it's not in the mainstream business teaching and research program. Is there anything about road mapping that I should have asked you that I didn't? I don't really think so. I think we've covered uh, most aspects come to mind. Rob, it's been wonderful having you here today. Always like to give people just a last chance to uh, give that pitch. So fire away. Our main mission is to uh, well, develop useful things that have impact, but to disseminate. And so I guess from a dissemination point of view, we put quite a bit of effort in. Uh, I've got a website of my own, which is designed for that purpose, cambridgeroadmapping.net. So if anyone wants to find out a bit more, and lots of templates there and pointers to different resources, I think I'm trying to build something as uh, one place to go. Um, we do other training and, and, and so on, and, and, and sometimes the best way is learn by doing. So we have a little knowledge transfer company embedded in our division of engineering owned by the university, set up to support dissemination of research. And so that's available as well for very direct hands-on support um, from professional consultants. And their, their, their model is not a normal consulting one because um, their purpose is to transfer. So, so often the, the most effective transfer is when the company does a lot of the work. 
And so, you know, you can minimize hours and costs to maximize transfer. So we do quite a lot of that sort of work. But it's not there to, for the normal commercial purposes of consulting, although it does generate resources for research. It's there to make an impact from the research. So, so that's my pitch, I guess, is uh, spread the word and uh, we'll try to help. As always, just a reminder, please do like, subscribe, hit the bell icon. And if you'd like to join us on the channel, please do either get in touch via the comments below or email us at info at talkingroadmaps.com. We'd love to have you here. Rob, it's been a pleasure having you here. Great. Thanks very much for having me.